Little Women, Chapter 28, Tender Troubles. Joe, I'm anxious about Beth. Why, Mother? She has seemed unusually well lately. It's not her health that troubles me now, it's her spirits. I'm sure there's something on her mind, and I want you to discover what it is. What makes you think so, Mother? She sits alone a great deal, and doesn't talk to her father as much as she used to. When she sings, the songs are always sad ones, and now and then I see a look in her face that I don't understand. This isn't like Beth, and it worries me. Have you asked her about it? I have tried once or twice, but she either evaded my questions or looked so distressed that I stopped. I never force my children's confidence, and I seldom have to wait for it for long. After sewing thoughtfully for a moment, Joe said, I think she's growing up and so begins to dream dreams and have hopes and fears without knowing why or being able to explain them. Beth's 18, but we don't realize it, and we treat her as a child. So she is. Dear heart, how fast you do grow up, returned her mother with a smile and a sigh. While apparently absorbed in her own affairs, Joe watched Beth and finally settled on what seemed to explain the change in her. She was affecting to write busily one Saturday afternoon when she and Beth were alone together. Yet as she scribbled, she kept her eye on her sister, who seemed unusually quiet. Sitting at the window, Beth's work often dropped into her lap, and she leaned her head on her hand dejectedly. Suddenly, someone passed below, whistling, and a voice called out, "'All serene, coming in tonight!' Beth started, leaned forward, smiled and nodded watched the passerby until his quick tramp died away. Then she said softly as if to herself, How strong and well and happy that dear boy looks. Hmm, said Joe, still intent on her sister's face, for the bright color faded as quickly as it came. The smile vanished, and presently a tear lay shining on the window ledge. Beth whisked it off and glanced apprehensively at Joe, but she was scratching away on Olympia's oath. The instant Beth turned, Joe began to watch her again, and saw Beth's hand go quietly to her eyes more than once. In her half-averted face read a tender sorrow that made her own eyes fill. Fearing to betray herself, she slipped away. "'Mercy on me, Beth loves Lori,' she said, sitting down in her own room, pale with the shock of the discovery which she believed she had just made. "'I never dreamed of such a thing. What will Mother say? I wonder if he—' There, Joe stopped and turned scarlet with sudden thought. If he shouldn't love her back, how dreadful it would be. He must. I'll make him. She shook her head threateningly at the picture of the mischievous-looking boy laughing at her from the wall. Then she sighed and fell into a reverie from which she did not wake until early twilight sent her down to take new observations, which only confirmed her suspicion. Though Laurie flirted with Amy and joked with Joe, his manner to Beth had always been particularly kind and gentle, but so was everybody's. Therefore, no one thought of imagining that he cared for her more than the others. Indeed, a general impression had prevailed in the family of late that our boy was getting fonder than ever of Joe. When Laurie first went to college, he fell in love about once a month. But these small flames were as brief as ardent and did no damage, and much amused Joe, who took great interest in the alterations of hope, despair, and resignation which were confided to her in their weekly conferences. But there came a time when Lurie ceased to worship at many shrines, 
hinted darkly at one all-absorbing passion and indulged occasionally in Byronic fits of gloom. Then he avoided the tender subject altogether, wrote philosophical notes to Joe, turned studious, and gave out that he was intending to graduate in a blaze of glory. Things were in this state when the grand discovery was made, and Joe watched Lori that night as she never had done before. If she had not got the new idea in her head, she would have seen nothing unusual in the fact that Beth was very quiet and Lori very kind to her. But, having given the rein to her lively fancy, it galloped away with her. As usual, Beth lay on the sofa, and Laurie sat in a low chair close by, amusing her with all sorts of gossip. But that evening, Joe fancied that Beth's eyes rested on the lively dark face beside her with peculiar pleasure, and that she listened with intense interest to an account of some exciting cricket match. She also fancied that she saw a certain increase in gentleness in Laurie's manner. Who knows? Stranger things have happened, thought Joe, as she fussed about the room. She will make quite an angel of him, and he will make life delightfully easy and pleasant for the dear, if only they love each other. I don't see how he can help it, and I do believe he would if the rest of us were out of his way. As everyone else was out of the way but Joe herself, she began to feel she ought to dispose of herself with all speed. But where should she go? She sat down on the old sofa to settle that point. The sofa was long, broad, well-cushioned, and low, also a trifle shabby. All the girls loved it, for it was a family refuge, and one corner had always been Joe's favorite lounging place. Among its many pillows was a hard, round one, covered with a knobby button at each end. This was her especial property, used as a weapon of defense, a barricade, or a stern prevention of too much slumber. Lori knew this pillow well, and had cause to regard it with deep aversion, having been unmercifully pummeled with it in former days when romping was allowed, and now frequently debarred by it from taking the seat he most coveted next to Joe in the sofa corner. If the sausage, as they called it, stood on end, it was a sign he might approach. But it might approach and repose, but if it lay flat across the sofa, woe to the man, woman, or child who dared disturb it. That evening, Joe forgot to barricade her corner, and had not been in her seat five minutes before a massive form appeared beside her, and with both arms spread over the sofa back and both legs stretched out before him, sighed with satisfaction. Joe slammed down the pillow, but it was too late. There was no room for it, and coasting on to the floor, it disappeared mysteriously. Come, Joe, don't be thorny. Do you hate your boy and want to fire pillows at him? How many bouquets have you sent Miss Randall this week? Joe asked sternly. Not one upon my word. She's engaged. Now then, I'm glad of it. That's one of your extravagances, sending flowers to girls for whom you don't care two pins, continued Joe reprovingly. "'Sensible girls, for whom I do care a whole papers of pins, "'won't let me send them flowers. "'So what shall I do?' "'Mother doesn't approve of flirting, even in fun, "'and you do flirt desperately, Teddy. "'I'd give you anything if I could answer, so do you. "'As I can't, I'll merely say that I don't see any harm "'if all parties understand its play. "'Well, it does look pleasant, but I can't learn how, and it's done. "'I'm glad you can't flirt.' It's really refreshing to see a sensible, straightforward girl who can be jolly and kind without making a fool of herself. We fellows don't like flirts, though we may act as if we did sometimes. The pretty, modest girls are never talked about except respectfully among gentlemen. 
Joe knew that young Lawrence was regarded as the most eligible by worldly mamas and was much smiled on by their daughters. So she watched him rather jealously, fearing he would be spoiled, and rejoiced more than she confessed to find he still believed in modest girls. Returning suddenly to her admon admonitory tone, she said, dropping her voice, Teddy, devote yourself to one of the pretty modest girls whom you respect. Do you really advise it? And Laurie looked at her with an odd mixture of anxiety and merriment on his face. Yes, I do, but you'd better wait till you're through college and be fitting yourself in the place meantime. You're not half good enough for, well, whomever the modest girl may be. Joe looked queer, for a name had almost escaped her. That I'm not, acquiesced Laurie, with an expression of humility quite new to him as he dropped his eyes. Mercy on us, this will never do, thought Joe, adding aloud. Go and sing to me. I'm dying for some music and always like yours. The minute it was all, it was, well, up with the bonnets of the Bonnie Dundee, she slipped away to return no more until the young gentleman had departed. Joe lay long awake that night. It was just dropping off when the sound of a stifled sob made her fly to Beth's bedside with an anxious inquiry. What is it, dear? I thought you were asleep, sobbed Beth. It's the old pain, my precious. No, it's a new one, but I can bear it. And Beth tried to check her tears. Tell me all about it and let me cure it as I often did the other. You can't. There is no cure. There, Beth's voice gave way and clinging to her sister, she cried so despairingly that Joe was frightened. Where is it? Shall I call mother? No, no, don't call her. Don't tell her. I shall be better soon. Lie down here and pour my head. I'll be quiet and go to sleep. Joe obeyed, but as her hand went softly to and fro across Beth's hot forehead and wet eyelids, she asked, Does anything trouble you, dearie? Yes, Joe, after a long pause. Wouldn't it comfort you to tell me what it is? Not now, not yet. Then I won't ask, but remember, Bethy, that Mother and Joe are always glad to hear and help you if they can. I know. I'll tell you by and by. Cheek to cheek they fell asleep, and on the morrow Beth seemed quite herself. But Joe had made up her mind, and after pondering over a project for some days, she confided it to her mother. I want to go somewhere this winter for a change, she began as they sat along together. Why, Joe? And her mother looked up quickly. With her eyes on her work, Joe answered soberly, I want something new. I feel restless and anxious to be seeing and doing and learning more than I am. I'd like to hop a little way and try my wings. Where will you hop? To New York. I had a bright idea yesterday. You know, Mrs. Kirk wrote to you for some young person to teach her children and so. It's rather hard to find just the thing, but I think I should suit if I tried. My dear, go out to service in that great boarding house? And Mrs. March looked surprised but not displeased. It's not exactly going out to service, for Mrs. Kirk is your friend and would make things pleasant for me, I know. Her family is separate from the rest, and no one knows me there. Don't care if they do. It's honest work, and I'm not ashamed of it. Nor I, but your writing. All the better for the change. I shall see and hear new things and get new ideas. I have no doubt of it, but are these your only reasons for going? No, mother. May I know the others? Joe said slowly, with sudden color in her cheeks. It may be vain and wrong to say it, but... I'm afraid Laurie is getting too fond of me. 
then don't you care for him in the way it is evident he begins to care for you? And Mrs. March looked anxious. Mercy, no. I love the dear boy as I always have, and I'm immensely proud of him. But as for anything more, it's out of the question. I'm glad of that, Joe. Why, please? Because, dear, I don't think you are suited to one another. As friends, you are very happy, and your frequent quarrels soon blow over. But you are too much alike and too fond of freedom, not to mention hot tempers and strong wills, to get on happily together in a relation which needs infinite patience and forbearance as well as love. That's just the feeling I had, though I couldn't express it. I'm glad you think he is only beginning to care for me. It would trouble me to make him unhappy, for I couldn't fall in love with a dear old fellow merely out of gratitude, could I? You are sure of his feeling for you? The color deepened in Joe's cheeks as she answered. I'm afraid it is so, Mother. He hasn't said anything, but he looks a great deal. I think I had better go away before it comes to anything. I agree with you, and if it can be managed, you shall go. Joe looked relieved, and after a pause said, smiling, how Mrs. Moffat would wonder at your want of management if she knew, and how she will rejoice that Annie still may hope. Ah, Joe, mothers may different in their management, but the hope is all the same, the desire to see their children happy. Meg is so, and I am content with her success. You I leave to enjoy your liberty till you tire of it, for only then will you find that there is something sweeter. Amy is my chief care now, but her good sense will help her. For Beth, I enjoy no hopes that she may be well. By the way, she seems brighter this last day or two. Have you spoken to her? Yes, she owns she has a trouble and promised to tell me by and by. I said no more, for I think I know it, and Joe told her the little story. Mrs. March shook her head and did not take so romantic a view of the case, but she looked grave and repeated her opinion that for Laurie's sake, Joe should go away for a time. Let us say nothing about it to him till the plan is settled, Joe said. Then I'll run away before he can collect his wits and be tragical. Best Beth must think I'm going to please myself, as I am, for I can't talk about Laurie to her. But she can comfort him after I'm gone, and so cure him of this romantic notion. The plan was talked over in a family council and agreed on. Mrs. Kirk gladly accepted Joe and promised to make a pleasant home for her. The teaching would render her independent, and such leisure she got might be profitable by writing, while the new scenes in society would be both useful and agreeable. Joe liked the prospect and was eager to be gone. When all was settled, with fear and trembling, she told Lori, but to her surprise, he took it very quietly. Joe was relieved and made her preparations with a lightened heart. One thing I leave to your special care, she said to Beth the night before she left. You mean your papers, asked Beth. No, my boy. Be very good to him, won't you? Of course I will, but I can't fill your place, and he'll miss you sadly. It won't hurt him, so remember I leave him in your charge. I will do my best for your sake, promised Beth, wondering why Joe looked at her so queerly. When Laurie said goodbye, he whispered significantly, It won't do a bit of, jo of good, Joe. My eye is on you, so mind what you do, or I'll come and bring you home.